0: at the text. If you're there in Romans chapter one, we're going to look at verses 18 through 22 to begin the message this morning. Romans chapter one and verse number 18. Here we go. The Bible says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And Romans 1.22 tells us, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I want to start with a couple of statements this morning. I believe that truth is objective. Truth is not subjective. If it is truth, then it it is objectively and undeniably true and not true depending on your point of view or your opinion. When we as Christians and as the church deny obvious truth, Because we have our own agenda, we eventually become fools, not just the church, but the world at large as human beings. And when we do not know God, if we view truth, that's part of what Romans one is talking about. It's saying, if we look truth right in the eyes, we know that it is true, but within our heart, we don't want it to be true because of our sinful nature We can become to make, begin to make excuses and to try and explain away the truth and even lie within our own heart against the truth. The Psalms tell us that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It gives the indication that he's saying it within himself, to himself, against the witness of nature, trying to convince himself, there is no God. There is no God. But the Bible tells us that's a foolish belief. To say in our heart there is no God, for as Romans 1 says, we look at the creation of God around us, and it is a clear indicator and witness to our heart that there was a creator who made this creation. It did not come out of chaos. It did not come out of nothing. God created it, and that's the only logical explanation. It's the only scientific explanation for how we get a world that works as well as ours does. Evolution says nothing created everything. That follows no rules of science. And we believe that it is not true. Christians are commanded to speak the truth. The apostle Paul, when he talked to the elders at Ephesus as he was leaving, he said, I have not shunned to speak unto you the whole counsel of God, all the counsel, meaning there's nothing that he left out because of his agenda. Rather, he spoke the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Paul wrote to Timothy and told him, preach the word, be instant, in season, and out of season. And then he said, in your preaching of the word, you have to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, To exhort is to encourage, but to reprove and to rebuke involves standing up before people, knowing that there may be sins going on in the congregation that people are doing. And you're supposed to stand up and preach about that and preach the truth. If we were to say sin is bad and leave it at that, there would never be a problem or an offense. But when we go line by line, issue by issue through the word of God and compare it to what the Bible says and call sin that is actually happening sin, That's when there becomes a controversy. But Paul told Timothy, you have to preach the word. You can't preach the parts you want to and the parts you don't then leave out the parts you want to. You're supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. One of the basic 10 commandments that God gave to the nation of Israel to tell all of us his heart and the way he feels about sin was thou shalt not lie. So we are commanded to tell the truth. J.D. Greer was, I don't know if he still is, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he was answering a question where someone said uh, along these issues, if you knew that there was a man who thought that he was a woman, what would you use as pronouns when you address that individual? Would you, if you were asked directly, tell the truth about that? Or would you try to be nice to avoid making them feel bad? And he went on to say, there is a spectrum of generosity of spirit versus telling the truth. Then he said, I tend towards generosity of spirit. So in other words, we can choose to be generous in our spirit and loving, or we can tell the truth. And he said, in those instances, I would veer more towards the side of being nice and loving than I would to telling of the truth. And I know that there's certain times and places where we can just fail to speak anything at all, and that would be okay. But if we're in a situation where we're forced to answer a direct question that's based upon the word of God and the truth, and we are asked directly a question, and we know that the answer would be offensive, so we say, I'm gonna value being nice more than I value telling the truth, I don't know how I want to conclude that statement. We're in error. We're wrong. Speaking the truth is not unloving. Speaking the truth is not unkind. As a matter of fact, it is unkind to fail to speak the truth. If you went to the doctor... And you said, doctor, I've been sick for six months. I started coming here six months ago. And I just now I feel like I'm going to die tomorrow. And the doctor says, well, I have a confession to make. Six months ago, I diagnosed you and I knew you had cancer, but I knew that would be hard for you to hear. So I wanted to be nice to you. So I lied to you and said everything was okay. You would be angry because in matters of life and death, in matters of the word of God, basic, objective, doctrine, truth, and reality, failure to speak the truth is not loving. It is not kind. It is not what we are called to do. Speaking the truth in 2022 will get blowback. It doesn't matter if you be as kind and, in love and loving as you want to be. If you give nuance and try to say how much you love people, but you have to speak the truth it's still going to be controversial. It's still going to get blowback. And if the algorithms aren't that good already this morning, I think there could extremely soon come a day that even speaking a message like this this morning would get the live streaming page shut down and banned because of hate speech or whatever else they would like to call it. Christians are called to speak the truth, but Christians are called to have compassion like Christ had compassion. When we look at the cross and think of the cross this morning, it's the perfect picture of the holiness of God and the love of God. My sin, not other sins, but my sin and your sin was so bad that Jesus had to die a brutal death on the cross to pay for it. But the love of God was so vast, so deep and so wonderful that he was willing to, to give his only begotten son, Jesus, to die for our sins. Some people have looked to some verses in the Psalms and they, where David wrote about people who were wicked. And David said, I hate them with a perfect hatred, O God. And they said, see, if people have fallen into a certain level of sin or error, we're supposed to hate them with a perfect hatred. And I don't hate the sin. I hate the sinner. I hate the person itself. Okay, is that what God did? Is that what God chose to do? Your hatred of sin is not perfect unless it is accompanied by love that equals the love of God that was so deep and strong that he said, I will go to Calvary and shed my own blood to pay for that sin that I hate. Okay, Romans one twenty two is on the screen. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Our world this morning has rejected some basic truths of nature. The question is why? why have they done that? And I believe the very clear answer is found in Romans one twenty two and then in Romans chapter one and verse number twenty eight and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Notice the phrase, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Romans 1 describes a progression into sin where it's not that we're so confused that, and have so much doubt that we don't know what's right, which does happen sometimes. But rather, the Bible is describing a person in a situation where they see the creation of God. They know that God is God. But they love their sin and they want to do wrong so much that they don't like to retain God in their knowledge and they choose to reject God, even though God has revealed himself to them. And then in turn, God gives them over to a reprobate mind. We talked about that word last week. It means morally corrupt, morally worthless or fallen. Again, the sins that are listed in Romans chapter one, it's not saying that those sins are irredeemable or that we can't be saved, but it does indicate a level of sin that someone falls into when they choose to reject the light that God gives them and God gives them over to their sin that they want to have. And Romans one goes on to describe a lot of those sins. There's a phrase of this generation that I've come to completely abhor where people will say, that's all right. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. And I'll do whatever I want to do. And they say, you speak your truth and I'll speak my truth. But truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. If it's subjective, it's not truth. And two plus two is four, whether it's your truth or not. When the grass, it rains a lot and the grass grows, it's green. Whether that's your truth or not, it's evil and wicked and worthy of the hammer of government being dropped upon you if you do anything to abuse or molest a child. And that's the truth, whether it's your truth or not. And in your heart, you know, that's true. Because God has created us with a basic knowledge and conscience of what's right and wrong. That Paul said the the law is written on their hearts. So when people sin, even though they've never heard the gospel, there's something in their heart that says this is wrong and they are convicted of that. They see creation And have witnessed there must be a creator who made that. And then when the Holy Spirit works. And we as the church carry out the gospel. And give it to people within their heart when they're hearing it. And the spirit of God pulls within them. Their very nature and the way they were made and created by God. Begins to say within their heart. That's right. That's true. Jesus is God. I must accept him. But then comes the moment. Where we're going to choose to repent of loving our sin too much in order to get saved, repent of our unbelief, of our self-righteousness, of whatever it is, we have to turn from that and say, I'm wrong, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved. You cannot give the gospel, and the gospel cannot be received if sin is not addressed. If people do not know and agree they are sinners, why do we need a savior? It's because we're sinners and we're lost. But if we refuse to acknowledge that we have sinned, we're not going to become saved because we don't think we need to be saved. And that's the problem. That's the problem often in America when America is like the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter three, when John wrote through the Holy Spirit and said unto them, you're miserable, poor, blind, naked and corrupt. But you say, I am full, I have need of nothing. Because their riches were secure, they weren't worried about how they were going to live or survive. And because they were doing so well and they were completely unbroken, they did not see their need for God. So there's no such thing as my truth or your truth. There is the truth as God has defined it, as science shows forth in its principles from God's creation that God made. Science comes along and makes some rules and some discoveries. We're simply discovering the way that God created the universe to work. Nobody went out and and created gravity. Nobody said, look, if I take this and drop it, it's going to fall to the ground. Rather, we found the principles of God's creation that were already there and were already established. And if science disagrees with what the Bible says, then reject what the science says. And I believe, given time, you will absolutely see that the Bible is true. And whatever opposes it is not. So there's a belief and a proclamation from many in our world today where they say that gender is fluid. You can be a different gender than the one you were born if you choose to be. If you simply state that you are the opposite gender and begin to project yourself as such or even begin to take shots and have surgeries and do all kinds of things to your body, that that objectively makes you a member of the opposite gender if that's what you choose to be. If you say you are a man, you're a man. If you say you're a woman, you're a woman, no matter how you were born. And in so doing, they are choosing to reject the God-defined roles of the genders. And I want to say this briefly this morning. Keep in mind this verse on the screen as we give a few examples. Then we're going to address it biblically. But I want to say this statement, rejecting creation, is rejecting the creator, To look at the way that God made things and say, this isn't right. This isn't good. I choose to reject the way you created things is choosing to reject the creator himself. Okay, briefly, a couple of examples of what I'm talking about this morning and how you can see that in our world, there is a push and there is an agenda to deny the truth of the word of God. Missouri Congressman Emanuel Cleaver gave the opening prayer on the opening day of the 117th Congress and in an attempt to be more inclusive, this went viral. You might remember it. He concluded his prayer to God and then at the end said, amen and a woman, even though the word amen comes from a root phrase, meaning so be it. I agree. That is true. It has nothing to do with an actual man or a woman. Okay, keep in mind the verse on the screen. The prime minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, was at a town hall and a woman was asking him a question and she was saying something about all mankind can benefit from. And he stopped and he interrupted her and he said, we don't say mankind, we say people kind, because that includes everyone. Okay, so those two are just kind of comical, right? How about this one? In 1983, the National Council of Churches released a translation of the Bible that was designed to eliminate referring to God as solely male. This so-called Bible translation sometimes calls God mother, as well as sometimes calling him father. For example, John 3.16 was translated like this. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only child that whoever believes in that child should not perish. Intentionally saying, no, we're going to reject and remove from the undeniable objective meaning of the Greek and Hebrew words that say male or female. And we're going to remove those references so that it sounds like God could be male or female, or maybe there's an idea there that male and female are actually the same and they're fluid and they could change. That affects theology, don't you think? Recently at the confirmation hearing for Supreme Court nominee, Katanji Brown Jackson, she was asked, can you give a definition for the word woman? I cannot, she replied. You can't, they said. She said, no, not in this context. I'm not a biologist. In other words, you would have to be a biologist to answer the question. What do you mean by the word woman? What do you mean by the word man? If you have an Apple cell phone, then in April of this year, and whenever an update went through on your phone, an emoji was added to your list that's called the pregnant man emoji. In other words, to give credence to the idea that if a woman says she's a man and then she becomes pregnant, she's not a pregnant woman. She's actually a pregnant man because that's what she chooses to be. And that's what she objectively by reality is. In May of this year, a pro-abortion activist named Amy Arambide testified before Congress that men can become pregnant and have abortions as well as women. In May of 2016, the Departments of Justice and Education issued a letter to school districts across the country directing them that they now must allow students to use whichever restroom they choose to identify with, and if they failed to do so, they would be in danger of violating Title IX. In other words, if— okay. You get the point. If a 16-year-old boy says, I now today am a woman, he they're saying they're requiring by law the school districts to allow him to use the showers in the restrooms that the girls use. When all of this was happening in the city of Seattle at a public pool, a man walked into the ladies' facilities and began to undress. And when people started to complain about it, he said, quote, the laws have changed. I have a right to be here. And indeed, he was neither removed nor prosecuted. A man named William Thomas, who since has changed his name to Leah Thomas, began to compete in swimming. But because he says he identifies as a woman, He's allowed to swim with and compete against the other women, despite the fact that he's a six foot one man and he has won state championships defeating the women who worked their whole life to get there. But this is supposed to be perfectly fine. And indeed, I think I don't remember, but I think ESPN either fired someone or removed the segment. If you try and speak out and say, you know, that's really not right or fair to let a man swim against the women because my daughter worked her whole life to get here. You're called hateful. You're called a bigot. You're the one that is supposedly denying the science, as it were. Another man named Richard Levine, who since changed his name to Rachel Levine, is currently the U.S. Assistant Secretary for Health. In 2021, when he was going through his confirmation hearing, he refused multiple attempts, direct questions that said, do you believe it should be legal for children to undergo puberty blockers and surgical mutilation if it is against the will of their parents? And the question was ignored, refused to give an answer. Some hospitals, such as Boston's Children's Hospital, currently perform these surgeries on minors, irrevocable changes to their bodies of 16, 15, 17-year-olds, who will not have the opportunity later in life to decide, you know what, maybe I was just confused by what the culture was telling me. I would like to actually be able to have my own children now. The procedures cannot be reversed. One more example, okay? A man named Rob Hugland lived in Canada. He had a daughter who was 14 years old. The daughter began to tell the counselors and teachers at her high school That she was gender confused and without the parents knowledge they began to counsel her about how she probably was the opposite gender and should consider getting surgeries done and all of these things and the mother was convinced that that was right as well. He tried to stop it and spoke out against it. And he said, no, I'm, I'm not going to call my daughter him. When I address her, I'm going to call her she or her. And I'm going to do radio interviews that say this isn't right. We shouldn't allow this to happen to my daughter. The judge in Canada ordered him to stop resisting, to use the pronouns that his daughter preferred and to not give any interviews speaking out against the process. And when he refused to do so, he was arrested and held in jail for six months for violating what the judge directed. Okay, here's what I want to say this morning and say why I believe it. The truth matters. If we fail to speak the truth as the church and as the people of Christ, then others are going to get hurt. And we don't speak the truth because we hate the people. We speak the truth because God has spoken it and because what God said is right. And according to the National Library of Medicine, which works in conjunction with the national official government health organizations, you can look them up. According to the National Library of Medicine, their website says data indicates that 82% of transgender individuals have considered suicide and 40% have attempted it, with the suicidality being the highest among transgender youth. The younger you are when you decide to do these things, the higher the risk is that one day you will become so miserable and overcome by it that they attempt to take their own life. And what I'm saying this morning is the church should care more about the well-being of children in our society than we care about getting acceptance from the media or the politics Or whatever it is. The church should care enough about the truth and about the people and the way that people are hurt by the lies of the devil to say, We do not hate you, we love you, but we are going to speak the truth as the Bible commands us to do. And as a church this morning, we don't hate gender confused people. We're not here to mock them, we're not here to win an argument. Those are the people for whom Christ died. The same as he died for you and the same as he died for me. And I actually think we should go out of our way to be kind. Not to lie, but yes, to be kind and to be loving. For our Savior was kind and loving to us when we sinned. And he still is when we continue to sin and fail him. We are called to love, to compassion. And to, as Ephesians 4.15 says, to speak the truth but to speak the truth in love. And herein is the balance for which we will strive for the rest of our lives and maybe never do it perfectly. But tell the truth, stand up for what's right. But do it with the heart of love. And sometimes we get so passionate about wanting to speak the truth that we fail to have love. And we're not following Christ's example or what the Bible says. And sometimes we get so motivated to actually love people and care for them. Then in attempting to want to be loving and kind, we omit the truth. And we've fallen on the other side of the spectrum. And we dishonor God that way as well. If we fail to speak the truth as the church, we bear responsibility and guilt from the harm that will ensue. If you've known me for any length of time, I think you know that I don't make statements just to try and be bombastic. And some people take the approach of be as controversial as you can and as loud as you can all the time and be a shock jock. And then you'll get more attention. And the people who like that kind of thing will, will like you and they'll want to listen to you. And I'm not afraid to say what needs to be said, but I'm not here simply to make bombastic statements or to try and be controversial. But I've thought about it and I've prayed about it. And if, as currently it is in parts of Europe and Canada, right across the border, if a judge holds the ability to shut down your church or take away your tax-exempt status or throw you into jail because you preach that homosexuality is a sin and that that's not ordained by God, and if they pass that law, I made up my mind, I will preach about that the next Sunday for two reasons. The one is that a lot of times when they come to take away your rights, if you will band together and all of you stand up and righteously resist, then they back off and you buy some more time and freedom for your children. But the other reason is that it is right. And if we're put in jail for speaking the truth, then we can speak the truth in jail and witness to the people there. That's what they had to do in the Bible. Sometimes God made creation. Science simply discovers the rules that God already made. "...men are born with XY chromosomes chromosomes, and by nature have the ability to father children." Women are born with XX chromosomes and by nature, the ability to birth children. And I know that having children or producing children is not what makes you male or female. What I'm saying is that it's impossible for males to have children. It's impossible for females to produce children the way that a man does. This is God's creation. This is the truth. This cannot be argued. This is objective reality. And a whole nother... Part is that every now and then there are birth defects, but even in those cases, it's it's not impossible to find out the way that you were born, and those are rare exceptions that come through defects, but in the whatever-you-want-to-say percentage, overwhelming majority, all of the time, what I just stated, that's the basic rules of science. It's not hard to define what a woman is or what a man is unless you're worried about offending people that have an agenda, and you're worried about the blowback that will come from you speaking the truth. Romans chapter nine and verse number 20. Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it? Why hast thou made me thus? In other words, if we look at God and hate the way that God made his creation and say, I want it to be different. We are speaking out against God himself and denying the truth. I'll leave out that that one story. Okay, so the world tells us today your true self, your identity, that's what matters. And in so doing, they end up telling people that your behavior or your gender identity, that is what your deepest and truest meaning and value is. And whatever you proclaim it to be, whatever your behavior is, whatever you state yourself to be, other people have to celebrate that and agree with you, or else they're denying you your right to happiness. But that simply comes down to idol worship of self. It's saying what you want is what's best. What you say is right is what's right. It doesn't matter what God says or anybody else says. You have a right to speak your own truth and demand that everyone else agree with you and celebrate. But that simply comes down to idol worship of self. The other thing we have to remember is that our true nature is sinful. I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And apart from the influences of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit, I'm capable of any sin and you are capable of any sin as well. And only in Jesus Christ can we find our meaning and purpose that will satisfy the receive the glory song. I love that It John the Baptist said, I must... I- decrease. He must increase. So in the church and in our life, we're saying, God, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about you. I exalt you. And in the song, it says we exist to bring you pleasure. Oh, God. It's a quote from Revelation chapter four, where in heaven they're singing his praises and they tell God all things are and were created for thy pleasure. So in other words, God designed us. And when we do what we were designed to do, And be who we were designed to be in the will of God. That's when we find the satisfaction. Because the creator himself knows what we're supposed to do. In order to have peace. Because he created us. Who could know us better than the one who designed us? And the scripture says. Jesus calls to us as the church and his disciples. Not celebrate your true self. Not find your identity and demand that it be worshipped. The Bible says the words of Jesus Christ deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. In other words, look to your own sin nature and sinful desires and say, I put that aside even though it's what I want because I know it's not right and I know it's not what God wants. So herein is, yes, a bit of a balancing truth. God made creation. That creation is good. And to try and say we want to change our gender would be denying the creation of God and saying that God's creation was bad and that we know better. But also the world has a lot of bad things in it, not because God put it there, but because we sinned and sin brought about judgment. And because we all have sinned, and it goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden, you and I have a sin nature, a natural desire in our flesh to do things that God says is wrong. So then we affirm, accept, and celebrate God's creation. But we don't look at ourselves and see things within ourselves that are contrary to the teachings of the Bible and say, well, God made me this way. I have to celebrate it. No, if it contradicts the word of God, God did not make you that way. Your sin nature has given you those desires. And it is accepting the creation God made when you deny what is naturally within yourself that his word says is wrong. Rick Warren was giving an interview one time, and and whatever you think about him, I always remember this moment. The interviewer said, well, people who live the homosexual lifestyle say that they are born that way. Isn't that mean to tell them that they can't do what they were born to do? And he kind of shocked the lady. He said, well, I was born with, and I'm naturally wired to desire to want to be with every attractive woman that I see. And she was kind of surprised that a pastor would say that. But his point that he made was, I have desires within my flesh that even though I know they exist, you all know if I was to give in to that, he was saying that that would not be right, that that would harm my family, that that would bring shame upon the church of God, that that would hurt my children if I actually lived that way. So then he he kind of took a back door because you can address it any which way. I don't believe God created people with a desire for unnatural sin that can't be overcome or shaken. But, I do know whatever your desire is, whatever your bent is, whatever naturally unnaturally you desire, if it 's wrong, if God says it 's wrong, we have to deny ourselves and fight against it and overcome that desire in that sin, not because God wants to harm us, but because God knows what is right. Sin is not good for you; sin does not make you happy, denying ourselves, repenting of sin. We will find greater fulfillment than anything else. God, in his word, said he has a plan for human sexuality, for the natural drives and desires we are born with, and that is that one man would be in a marriage with one woman, and that's how God ordained that it would work. Romans 1 itself, our text, if you skip around, you'll see it speaks to that same gender, a lifestyle that people live, and the Bible says that it's wrong. That's not because God hates us or wants to withhold good things from humanity, But that sin will not bring happiness and fulfillment. And it's so easy to think we're so advanced as a society and we're so past the Bible and we're over it and we can be happy and we have all the technology. Yet the shattered homes, the disease, the whatever else you want to say, it's easy to see how when we disobey what the Word of God says, it brings about consequences. Janet, a couple of scriptures. Believe it or not, I am on the verge of being done here pretty quickly this morning. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Jesus said in Matthew nineteen four, and he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? This is God's creation. This is the way that God made it to be. And it's a wonderful thing. I decided this morning, I knew that we'd be pushing on time to not include all of these references. But if you look up the scriptures in 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy, Titus, and Ephesians, you'll see the following truths. God created men to primarily be the leaders in the church, and the home, to primarily be the provider, to bring up the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to love their wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. God created women to be submissive to their husbands, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be good, to love their children, to be a good homemaker. And the Bible says this example will cause the word of God not to be blasphemed. And then that older women should teach the younger. Proverbs 31 tells us of the righteous woman, the virtuous woman that her husband can trust her. She does him good and not evil all the days of his life. She works diligently. She sows, she buys and sells a field. And again, I'm not chasing every rabbit trail this morning, but I just want to clarify, I don't believe the Bible says it's wrong for women to work outside the home, but rather that they, whatever they're doing outside the home, should look at that calling within the home to try and apply herself to be a homemaker and to make sure that those within her home are cared for. If God is blessed, with children or with a husband. But the Proverbs 31 woman was helping the family financially. She bought and sold a field. She was sowing. She was trading. She was making sure the Bible says she looks well to the ways of her household. She showed compassion to the poor. And the Bible says that she is far more valuable than rubies. And a virtuous woman should be valued as such You see, in the days that the New Testament were written, a woman did not have equality. She was way behind what we have today and way behind what the truths of the Bible said it should be. And through the teachings of Christ and of Paul, it elevated the position of women in society to be cherished, to be loved, to not be trampled upon or treated like property. And some say, well, the Bible says a woman should woman should be submissive to the leadership of her husband. And isn't that misogynistic? And isn't that hard? And that's such a burden. And and there's balance and nuance to all of that as well, as you all know. But the Bible says, husbands, your command is to love your wife as Jesus loved the church and died for it. which In reality, is probably a lot harder to live out. But what I'm saying is the Bible says, don't be bitter against your wife, but love her and cherish her as Jesus has you. God is glorified by our distinction and unique differences. I could summarize by saying this morning, God created all things and God's creation is good. It's wonderful. It should be celebrated. It should be accepted. Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man... "'made he a woman and brought her to the man.' And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You see what the scripture is saying? Yes, there's an order to creation in a way that God designed it to go. But Adam did not look at his wife and say, oh, this is a piece of property that I own. He said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She came from my rib from within me. I'm supposed to value her and love her and protect her. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is God's creation and this is a good and wonderful thing. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. Okay, thank you even as the Lord, the church. Okay. So in conclusion this morning, we won't look at that passage and there's all kinds of nuance of what was he talking about in historical setting as well. But if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and specifically 7 through 15, Paul is speaking the truth of God. God speaking through Paul and he's talking about the natural order and how that the man was created first and then the woman was created for the man and not backwards. And we shouldn't get that out of order. And it says that the man is the image and glory of God and the woman is the glory of the man and that this was the creation order, that God Adam was created first, the rib was removed from Adam, then Eve was created from it. Y'all staying with me, this is a lot all at once, I know, but I'm trying to summarize the truth of what that passage says. Nevertheless, it goes on to say, the man is not without the woman, nor the woman without the man in the Lord. And he's saying that in the beginning, the woman came from the man by creation, when God removed Adam's rib, But any man that's ever existed since Adam has been of the woman because he was born through a woman. So we're not without each other in the Lord. Rather, yes, we look at the roles and distinctions that God's clearly spelled out and we should submit to what the Bible says. But we're not looking at one as superior over the other or wanting to be one of the other. Rather, in harmony, saying this is the way God made it and this creation is wonderful. Okay, even in first Corinthians 11, it goes on to show differences and distinction between men and women. And I know it's talking about a lot of different things, but it says that when a woman has long veiling covering hair upon her head, it's a glory. And nature tells us that's a glory and a wonderful thing, but not for a man to do that. I, I mean, it's in the Bible. It Talk about it later if you want to. Some people say it's not, but it is. I don't know or understand it all. I'm not legalistic, particular about every situation. It has to be this, that, whatever. But it's in the Bible that there's a natural difference and distinction between the genders. In Deuteronomy, God told his people it would be an abomination unto God to intentionally go out and try to wear a women's garment or a men's garment if you weren't that gender that to intentionally try and present yourself as the opposite gender would be an abomination in the eyes of god why because god's creation is good and we should accept it and praise him and i believe that god is glorified when we accept his creation and embrace the roles he created for us so then as the church, we are called to have compassion and to tell the truth and do a little research. And you can find all over the Internet testimonies of people who believe that lie and live that lifestyle who later came to Jesus Christ and received salvation. And we look at no person and hate them. Rather, we look at them and love them with the gospel. OK, I'm all done. So I'll go ahead and do this as a closing illustration. There's an ancient parable that was told where there was an emperor who lived in a city and the emperor was known for his love of fine clothes and he bought the most expensive clothes all the time. And one day there came two swindlers to that town and they said, we have the most expensive and special, unique magic clothes that ever has been sold. But if you have to be wise to actually see the clothes and if you can't see the clothes, it means you're unfit for your office And that you're especially stupid. So the king thought, wow, I want these magic clothes. And they lifted up the the clothes. But as they were holding it up, they weren't actually holding anything up. And the king said, well, I don't want to look like I'm unfit for my office and that I'm stupid. And I know I'm not seeing it with my eyeballs. But he said, those are the most beautiful clothes I've ever seen. Then he said to the second in command, what do you think of those clothes? And he swallowed and in his mind, he said, I don't want people to think I'm unfit for my office. I don't want people to think I'm stupid. And he said, those are the most beautiful clothes that I've ever seen. And all the way around the room, all of the people agreed. So the king got dressed in the magic clothes that weren't clothes and began to walk around. And a little child said the name of the parable. The emperor has no clothes on. And he was hushed away and shushed because they didn't want him to contradict what everyone else was saying. And you see, what I'm saying is that in society, a lot of people have looked at this issue and they know in their heart what the truth is. But they're afraid to say, if you're a biological male, you're a man, no matter what you do to your body, no matter what you say. And the one who does speak out is in danger of being whisked away. And so a lot of people don't speak out because they're afraid of the consequences. Heavenly Father, as we pray now, I pray you would take the truth this morning Apply it however you want. I pray my heart would be seen by people this morning. And I pray that as the church, you would give us courage to speak the truth. I pray, Lord, for the salvation of anyone who does not know you as Savior. I pray if there's anyone here this morning, that they would receive you as Savior this morning before they leave this place, even today. If Rachel can come and play a few short lines for us. We'll have a time of prayer. Let's lift up our voices to God in prayer with whatever is on your heart. You can pray at the altar. You can pray in your seat. God hears us when we pray.